Great, good morning. Please do keep that passage open. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1, 1, 8, 7. Let's pray, shall we, as we, as we start. Lord God, we do thank you uh, for your word to us, and we pray, Lord, this morning that you would speak to us this morning through your word by your spirit, that you would change our hearts, mould us, shape us to be the people you would have us be. Uh, for the glory of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Over the past uh, couple of weeks, I've been test-driving cars, thinking about buying a new car, which has been extremely exciting for me as a driver of a falling-apart 18-year-old Renault Clio. It's been really quite eye-opening. It's amazing the amount of kind of tech and gadgets you get on new cars. And something that seems really quite standard uh, these days on cars seems to be cruise control. You know, cruise control, you're kind of on a long journey. Rather than have to keep your foot... Uh, on the accelerator, you can accelerate up to speed, flick on cruise control, the car keeps going by itself, and you can just kind of sit back, relax, uh, go to sleep, listen to music, break up the children fighting, that kind of thing. It's great, cruise control. But there's a danger, isn't there, that we use a similar gadget in the Christian life. We discover that Jesus is God's king. The big and obvious things change Uh, in our lives. We stop living only for ourselves. Our sexual habits, they change. We use our time and resources a bit differently. We, We make kind of big, radical changes and we get up to speed. But when we're going just about as fast as we think we need to go, we flick on cruise control, we settle down, relax and kind of enjoy uh, the rest of the Christian life. Here at the start of this second section of this letter, Paul warns the Thessalonians against using cruise control. The Thessalonian church we've seen, haven't we, over the past few weeks, was was a great church. They discovered that Jesus uh, is God's king. Their lives had been changed. They were consistent and effective witnesses. They'd made a big impact on their community, on their country. And Paul is full of affection, isn't he, in this letter, Thanks and joy for all uh, that has happened. They've got the authentic Christian hallmarks of faith in Jesus, love for Jesus' people, and hope of Jesus' return, verse 1 of an earlier chapter. So it might be tempting for the Thessalonians to kind of think, you know what, we're doing great, we're up to speed, now is the time we kind of flick on cruise control. No, says Paul. No, don't do that, you're doing well. But now is the time to keep your foot on the accelerator. Now is the time to keep going further and deeper uh, in your Christian life. Do do you see how the phrase more and more appears twice uh, in these verses? Verse 1, finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you to do this more and more. And then verse 10, as Paul writes about going further in brotherly love, yet we urge you, brothers, to do so more and more. Paul is exhorting here, he's urging, he's cheering on the Thessalonians. This isn't a rebuke, this is Paul saying, I want to stimulate your spiritual appetite. Now is the time to keep your foot down on the accelerator. In some ways, the Christian life is a bit of a paradox, isn't it? Perhaps you... Perhaps you know that, because Christians are people uh, who should be at peace and yet also dissatisfied. 
So, so we've got a deep sense of peace. Because when it comes to knowing God, uh, when it comes to knowing forgiveness of our sins, being saved from God's righteous anger, the job has been done. Job done. Jesus died on the cross once and for all. No more work is required on our part to get right with God. There's nothing to pay that Jesus has not paid. The deal is sealed. And yet, as well as being at peace, we should be dissatisfied. Dissatisfied with who we are. That is a sign of spiritual health. That is a sign of the Holy Spirit at work in us. We should long to please uh, God. So when it comes to living for God, it is about more and more, says Paul. However many years we've been following Jesus, Paul says, keep following. However many changes we've made in our lives to root out sin, keep going in obedience, is what Paul is saying. Not because we'll persuade God to accept us, but because God wants to continue to transform us and to change us. So we just need to be clear, don't we, up front. Paul is not setting out moral instructions of some ladder to climb to God. He's just saying, don't hit cruise control. Press on more and more. What we have in these verses is Paul spelling out the nitty-gritty, if you like, of what gospel living looks like, the kind of granular stuff. And if we want to make an impact... Uh, on our community around us, on the culture of our day, just like the Thessalonians had done, so that everyone starts talking about our faith, about the faith of Holy Trinity Norwich. We need, don't we, to take seriously what Jesus says in this teaching of Paul. Paul zones in, doesn't he, on two areas uh, in these verses, two areas. He says, go further in holiness and go further in loving one another, brotherly love. Let's look at each in turn, shall we? So first, go further in holiness. Look at verse 3. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honourable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong his brother, or take advantage of him. Have you you ever tried to work out what God's will is for for your life? I remember when I was at university, it was a massive thing for some people. You're trying to work out, you know, what is God's will for my life? Who should I marry? Where should I live? What jobs should I do? What time do I go shopping? What colour do I dye my hair? All those things you can kind of worry about in life. The Bible doesn't give us, does it, those detailed answers, but Paul is crystal clear about what God's will is for our lives. What is it? God's will is that we should be sanctified. That that means made holy. It's the same word. The will of God is holiness, that we would be set apart uh, for God, his special, his distinct property, different from the world which follows idols. And in urging the Thessalonians to go further In holiness, Paul focuses on sex. When it comes to your sexual behaviour, make sure you set yourself apart more and more. Sexual immorality was a really big thing uh, that the Thessalonians 
face, because the idea of a, of a faithful sexual relationship uh, between a man and a woman, it would have been a really radical uh, idea. Mistresses, sex slaves, ritual prostitution, self-gratification, they were rife in Thessalonica. Passionate lust, surprise, surprise, was normal. It's a culture really very little different from our own. And there was a danger that the Thessalonians could just drift back into compromise and into their cultural norms. You should avoid sexual immorality. Verse 3. That is, make a total break with all forms of sexual immorality. The word that's used here is the word pornea, which means sexual sin in its kind of widest sense. So it means all sexual conduct outside of a lifelong relationship between one man and one woman. There are different kinds of avoid, aren't there, in life? There is the avoid that my wife frequently tells me of don't eat too much chocolate cake. It's bad for you. This is more the avoid of keep your ship well away from the shore because there are rocks out there that can sink you and sink others. So, so this is it's about the big things, isn't it? Christians, we shouldn't commit adultery. Wait until we're married to have sex. The God-given context for sex is a lifelong relationship between one man and one woman. But it also calls us, doesn't it, to to exercise wisdom in things that would kind of pull us in that sort of direction. Do more and more, says Paul. So this is also about, isn't it, setting the internet controls so that it isn't easy to slip into kind of late-night, lazy internet surfing. We should avoid putting ourselves in situations where we could compromise ourselves, fueling that with, with alcohol. We should steer away from lewd jokes, from innuendo, from dirty looks, from that kind of playful office flirt. However far we've gone in being different, from the world in this area, do more and more. Each of you, verse 4, should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honourable. A bit of a debate here over the translation, as you can see from the footnotes. The words actually literally read, each one of you should know how to possess for himself a vessel in holiness and honour. The question is, what does a vessel mean? Does it mean a body or does it mean a wife? Either way, surely the point is this. If you're unmarried, well, control your body. If you're married, look after your wife. Treat her in an honourable and loving way. In both situations, abstain from sexual immorality. Because the nub of the issue here, do you see that? It's lust. Verse 5. What is the big point that Paul is making here? He's saying when lust becomes the kind of driving, the dominant force, either before marriage or outside marriage 
in adultery, or within marriage, in selfish, unloving, dishonoring behavior towards your partner, then we act as if we do not know God and we deny our faith in Jesus. Paul knows how radical this teaching is. He sees the danger of the Thessalonians just losing their appetite uh, for sexual purity, just drifting back to kind of the ways their culture uh, said they should live. Perhaps two lines of thinking might have crept into uh, the Thessalonians' mind. Perhaps they're, they're thinking that creeps into our minds. Perhaps the first would be this, but look at everybody else. They're doing it. Look at what everyone else is doing. Other people, they are so much more immoral than us. In comparison, we're doing great. We're pretty good. How does Paul respond to that? Christians shouldn't benchmark themselves against pagans or non-believers, verse 5. Not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. Christians shouldn't set their kind of cruise control speed by reference to people who don't know God. That would be ridiculous. It's tempting for us, isn't it, to kind of work on a comparative basis. We look at other people, we look at our speedo, and we set a kind of reasonably keen speed. Paul says, don't benchmark yourself against someone who's not even involved in the same business as you. When it comes to sexual immorality, normal cannot be a person who doesn't know God. Their behavior shows how distant they are from God. Perhaps the Thessalonians may also be tempted to think, well, does sexual purity really matter? Does it, does it really matter? If it feels good, if it doesn't hurt another person, well, isn't it okay? Isn't that what we kind of think often today? If it feels good, if there's consent, if no one gets hurt, well, hey, go for it. What's what's the problem? What does Paul say, verse 6? Sexual immorality always harms other people, and that in this matter no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. Sexual immorality hurts other people. So you wrong the wife of the husband you sleep with. You wrong the future husband of the girl you go too far with. A Christian wife's heart is broken and a family is shattered because the husband decides he is infatuated with another woman and his wife, she no longer really cares. These behaviours, they go beyond the boundaries set by God. We we venture into territory and take what is not ours by right. And we deny our faith in Jesus. Someone once said, sex is like fire. So in the context of a fireplace, it's great. Outside of fireplace, it's dangerous. It eats us up, it consumes us and it affects our common life. We should set ourselves aside more and more. When I give instructions to my children on anything, they often say, but why daddy? 
But why, 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 why? And I'm always tempted to pompously say, because I say so. And from time to time, I do. But that's not much good. Kids need explanation, don't they? And do you see how Paul lovingly gives an explanation for this exhortation here? Why, why live in this way? Well, first, you see, because justice will be done. Verse 6. Look at verse 6. The Lord will punish men for all such sins, as we have already told you and warned you. God sees. God sees your heart. He sees your bedroom. God knows. And God cares. Justice will be done. We're living in the prospect of God's justice. So we are to pursue this ambition of purity more and more. This is to be our agenda. Second, this is the call of God, isn't it? Verse 7. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God, who gives you his Holy Spirit. It's true, isn't it? At times, our culture does press in. It does just seem too difficult to live this way. Everywhere we turn, there are pictures and things which are unhelpful. Paul says, you know, remember, the ability to do this is given to us by God. The call of God is to all believers is to live in holiness and purity. If you reject this teaching, you're not rejecting me, says Paul, you're rejecting God. Rejecting Jesus. But we're not on our own. God says, I've equipped you with my Holy Spirit. You're mine. I will recreate you. I will regenerate you and the people around you in part now, fully, in the age to come to reshape you perfectly into God's likeness. This is the glorious will I have for your life, says God. We need to pray, don't we, that we would, the Holy Spirit would produce in us the fruit of of self-control, to ask for his energy to resist temptation, to have the appetite for godliness more and more, to pray in the end that we wouldn't lose the Christian freedom that Christ died to give us. It is easy, isn't it, to beat ourselves up uh, in this area. Perhaps like me, you are troubled when when you hear this teaching Here's another thing I get wrong again and again, we think. Just remember what Paul's thread of the message to the Thessalonians is. It's fantastic to see how your life has changed, how you're trusting in Jesus, how you're expectant for his return. But don't hit cruise control. Just keep going more and more. And if you think, I've made mistakes, I've come off the road big time. Paul would say, remember the debt has been paid. Jesus died on the cross once and for all to bring forgiveness and restoration. There is always a way back and a fresh start in and through the Lord Jesus. Go further in holiness. Secondly, and very briefly, go further in brotherly love. 
Look at verse 9. Now about brotherly love, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia, yet we urge you, brothers, to do so more and more. Do you see again how the Thessalonians, they're they're doing great in loving each other. Accounts of their faith and their love, they've spread far and wide. Jesus said, didn't he, that by the way we love each other, outsiders will know that we love God. Thessalonians, they're pioneering this stuff. Their love is the irrefutable evidence. They've been taught and changed by God. But don't relax, says Paul. Don't think you have to go deeper or move on in some way. Keep going. Now is not the time to flick on cruise control. Do more and more. Do you see how Paul gives three down-to-earth ways that we can show brotherly love. Perhaps they're a bit of a surprise, these three ways. Do you see, first, make it your ambition, your business, we could say, to lead a quiet life, verse 11. That is a life which is the opposite of frenzied activity. So too often, don't we, we rush around achieving and accruing more as our culture says that we should, yet not taking time out to be quiet and still before God, to kind of cultivate that quiet calmness that is the unmistakable quality in some Christians that we meet. Second, mind your own business, verse 12. That is, be diligent in your responsibilities. Don't be an interfering busybody. Focus in large part on your own life. Get on with the ordinary, even the mundane. The everyday things of of life are important. Finally, work hard. Verse 12, don't be idle or lazy. This is not about people who can't work, the destitute, we might say. This is about people who won't work, i.e. the lazy. The the, the context for this seems to be that there was great excitement in Thessalonica about the return of Jesus, and you had some super spiritual people who thought, you know what, let's just set up a watching group for the return, let's empty our bank accounts, sit back, put our feet up, opt out of work. And they became dependent on the goodwill and the generosity of the church. That is not brotherly love, says Paul. That is sponging. A lazy Christian is a contradiction in terms. That's what Paul is saying. Paul worked, we saw earlier, day and night, probably making tents, so he wasn't a burden. Did Paul claim expenses? Probably unlikely. Outsiders will have no respect for sponges and those who gullibly support them. That's what Paul is saying. So, so to go further in brotherly love, what are we to do uh, here at Trinity, here in our church life uh, together? We should work hard. We, we should give of ourselves. We shouldn't be a lazy and draining observer. This is about our whole attitude to work and to service in our fellowship. 
together as a church. The message surely is get serving. There are so many ways we can get stuck in to serving in this church. Talk to Richard about it. Don't be a lazy passenger. How do we live to please God? It's not in many ways that glamorous, is it? We're conscientious in what we do. We take responsibility for our lives. We support ourselves. We don't seek to be dependent. We contribute to our life together. That sort of everyday, that normal life is pleasing to God. It shows how we love God and love our neighbor. These things are done for the glory of God. It shows how God has changed our lives. What is the aim and purpose? Verse 12. So that our daily life may win the respect of outsiders. And so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Paul is saying, you know what? The watching world, they'll be attracted by ordinary people leading ordinary lives, but who demonstrate extraordinary godliness. That is what will make people sit up and note. That is what will help get the gospel a hearing. The credibility of the gospel is at stake on these things. Do this more and more. Go further in holiness. Go further in brotherly love. Shall we pray? Lord God, we do uh, thank you for these, these words, this challenging uh, teaching, in some ways troubling teaching, but Lord, we do praise you for the Lord Jesus that the debt has been paid. But Lord God, we do ask that you would be at work in our hearts to change us, to be more like the Lord Jesus. Lord, that we would play our parts in committing to those things we need to commit to, to covenant with you, if you like, to be changed people. Please would you help us to make decisions that steer away from sexual impurity. And please will you build us up to love one another more, to have a desire to serve each other, to lead quiet lives that bring you glory. And Lord God, that we would see people look at us and say there's something different about these people. Something is at work in these people that is different. And their eyes and their hearts will be drawn to you, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.